Welcome to Croxley Green Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. I, I have been amazed that us just slowing down and showing up and putting the kettle on, doing a few hobbies and have a little bit of prayer is exactly what people were looking for. Our prayer stuff wasn't just for us, it was what our community was looking for as well. So I just commend to you the fact that I, what I'm going to be bringing you over the rest of this weekend isn't going to make you try harder. Because I'm going to be talking to you today about digging deeper in our purpose with God. And for some of us it makes us sigh. Because we've been to lots of conferences and lots of meetings. And we've gone, right Lord, what's your purpose for my life? But right now, we were talking over breakfast about this. In this season of many of your lives, your purpose is getting out of bed in the morning and caring for those around you who are in your family for whom your season of your life is as hard as it possibly could be and actually chucking in all the stuff you're doing with church, well done. But maybe I'm going to be the person who comes and says, maybe do less. As the other word God gave me as I woke up this morning was stop. (laughs) So, sorry ministers, because again, uh, I'm booking the trend and instead of breaking new ground in your purpose, I'd love to talk to you about breaking deeper ground in the purpose that God's already given you. So you've already had it said this morning, um, this is about our becoming who Jesus has already made us to be. And the becoming, uh, in Henry Nouwen's words, if you've not read any Henry Nouwen, do read some Henry Nouwen, it's beautiful stuff. He, He says, it's the being and the doing that make us have the becoming. Becoming is being plus doing. And very often we either become human doings or, and I've seen this happen with loads of my Christian friends, they get so exhausted of the doing, they go and like open a retreat centre somewhere on the edge of nowhere. Love them, don't tell me there's nothing wrong with them, except we were called to be salt and light, right, in the place where we are. So somehow the being and the doing is the becoming. So I'm going to talk to you a little bit about breaking uh, new ground. Um, Before I do that, what I was going to talk to you about yesterday, and that got hijacked into something else, um, when I gave you all these little objects, I was going to talk to you about some habits that would help you to dig deeper into your life with God. Instead, I felt I needed to tell you what the seed was, because you could, I could be completely wrong here, but I sense that some of you have been digging hard for a very long time, and actually what you needed to know is that seed will grow on ground even if it's not dug over. I've seen it happen. I've seen things grow in pavement slabs where there's just a crack of you. Mm-hmm. Okay, so just know that the seed, is, the seed of God's word and Jesus' presence and the Holy Spirit's work in your life is strong enough even if you haven't got the energy to pick up the spade. However, if it's helpful to you, and it certainly was to me at that point in my life, I'm so glad. Do you know these were a pound each? No, seriously. <laughs> I, how good is that? How, I'm a bit worried they're making them for pound now. I feel like I shouldn't have got that. That's ethically unsound. Anyway, I got it because it wasn't made of plastic and I knew I was coming here, Dave. That's not. If I get in trouble. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. So these habits of digging deep in your life, I will just quickly pop a few in. The, and for those of you who are going, yes, it's all well and good, Ruth, to say digging deeper in our relationship with God, but I've no idea what you mean by that. Here's just a couple of things to try that you might want to try. Um, so I'm going to go with the acrostic stop just for a moment if you're taking any notes. So I'm going to go with the S, and I haven't got this on the screen because I wasn't going to say all this. The S uh, is stillness. I commend to you picking up your first copper in the morning 
and sitting still until it is finished. Sorry if you've got small children, that's never going to happen. But it will one day. <coughs> Actually, maybe, because we've all got time to sit and listen to me, and I'm not as important as listening to whatever God's got to say to you in the morning. So there might be a moment when we don't just pick up our cuppa and just go wasting around, but we just sit until it's finished, take a little bit of a meditation from a psalm. This has just been my habit for the last 10 years. I commend it to you. It's dead simple. Then every time you make a cuppa, you choose to, as you hold it, remember he holds you, and get, oh, hang on, what's my meditation today? Because do you ever do that when you've read your Bible and then you can't remember what you read by the end? Yeah, yeah okay, right. not the only one then. So my habit has been, yes, I'm still reading my Bible, I still love a bit of gospel, and I still like to work through some other chapters of the Bible, but I always take the meditation from the psalm, and the psalm of the week this week is Psalm 107, and the meditation is, he satisfies the longing soul. How good is that? We're saying that, aren't we? He satisfies the longing soul. Have we got a hissy S on this? Is that my, is it me? Is anybody else thinking this is a bit hissy? Sorry, John. No, it's just me. I just have funny ears. I'm hissing in my ear. Um, so, so, he satisfies my longing soul. I take that as my meditation for this week. And every time I pick up a cup, I sit and go, instead of going, oh, Lord, you know how prayer can become worrying with your eyes shut, right? Instead of that, I go, what is my meditation? He satisfies my longing soul. Lord, you satisfy my longing soul. And I take it round and round my head. And because I'm a good worrier, I'm really good at meditating because that's all worry is, negative meditation. And so I just sit there until I've settled and I'm still. And I'm not overthinking it. And I'm not writing a sermon on it. And I'm not trying to do a Bible study on it. I am just settling my mind around that meditation. I commend it to you. And then when you take the dog for a walk or whatever you do next, Instead of missing everything that you've just walked past because you're busy thinking about all the stuff you're going to do, go, he satisfies my longing soul. He satisfies my longing soul. And it becomes the way in which, I call it my resting thought rate. You know, when you're not thinking about anything else, what you're thinking about. There's a little habit. Um, another little habit, this is from a book by Gregory, Greg Boyd, Woodland Hills Community Church, massive American church where you wouldn't expect contemplative practices. Uh, it's called Present Perfect, and he has 20 habits for you to get deeper into the presence of God. Uh, one of them is what he calls bubble and soak, which is where you put on a piece of music and you just sit and listen to it. And you imagine God has you know, covered you in a bubble whilst you just soak in that. And you sit and listen to the whole piece of music. That might be helpful for some of you. Um, zoom in, zoom out is one of his, where you go and stand outside and you look as far as you can at something a long distance away and know that he is there. And you, then you look at something really close and really small, like a weed, and you go, he is in this too. Christ did all things. That's helpful. The, the other, the cup habit, uh, so different habits with the cup come from a book by Joyce Rupp, R-U-P-P, called The Cup of Our Life. Beautiful book. Six weeks of inner contemplative practices for individuals <coughs> and groups. Uh, this is where my journey started. So those are two books that if you are interested, there's Greg Boyd's Present Perfect and The Cup of Our Life by Joyce Rupp. Habits to help you get deeper. Stillness, silence. It is definitely buzzing for me. I'm going to go here to that. Stillness, silence, and shalom. <laughs> so this shalom, this deep inner peace. I think shalom is better translated well-being rather than peace. Peace is quite a, it's a good word, right? It makes you think everything's really, really peaceful. But well-being has something deep and settled within it. 
Look into that. Look into the word shalom. It's much richer in the Hebrew, and uh, it's a good word for you to think about. So we do need to read the Bible. We do need to pray, but are you meditating also? Is there some stillness? Is there some silence? Um, that could be really helpful. Whoa, no, really. Thank you. I'm glad you could hear that. I really yeah. thought it was me. It is, it is buzzy, isn't it? Let's, let's just wait till we get that right. It's definitely that. Do you I'm think it's... Yeah. We just have a feeling with that because I think it's going to possibly be um, later too. <laughs> whilst we're doing that, just tell the person next to you which object you picked last night and which one you didn't and why. All those I don't know where the radio mic comes up. Radio mics. Yeah, fine. Yeah, I think it's either the left or one of the vocal mics speaking back really, really high. Yeah. Okay. So this is the, um, oh, you're actually good at that too. Wow. In my church, in New Life Baptist, I could get people talking. I could never get them to stop. So I'd go, I'm going to get you to talk to each other. And my husband would be going, you'll never get them back again. Well done, you did that in a limited amount of time. Um, I'm going to read to you from Luke chapter 10 in just a moment. I'd like to tell you about this gentleman. We're talking about digging deeper in our purpose with God. I did, a lot of the people I met when I wasn't well were much more unwell than me and for much longer. I broke myself, I know that. I know for some people, their mental health journey, and, and there's not one in four who've got mental health issues, there's four in four with mental health. We all have mental health, right? So when I'm using the term mental health, I'm not talking about a few people who are struggling. I'm talking about how we all look after this as well as this. So... Um, I'm going to be talking a little bit about, I can't not talk about mental health, because our, our journey and our purpose in life um, <coughs> is something that is really important to know for our mental and emotional well-being. I, um, I was reading The Observer the other day, ha, I know, right, it was just a one-off, and um, there was an article, massive article in the middle about well-being, it was actually about happiness. Now, I have a problem with the word happiness because it's based on the root of the word hap, which is circumstances. And actually, I think when we go, I just want my children to be happy, that's a massive pressure right there, okay? And, I, and I've met happy people who are not very nice. So I'm just thinking there's more to it than that. I like the word well-being better than happiness. However, this book is called Can We Be Happier? And it's by a guy who is, what is he? He's an economist, actually. He's not Christian. Um, he is the co-editor of the World Happiness Report. And he is, a, I see, he is the director of the Centre for Economic Performance at the London School of Economics. Doesn't sound like something I'd read, really. I'm beginning to realise buying the book was a mistake. <laughs> the, the little bit in the Observer was enough. But actually, he's, having looked into and done loads of research about how happy people are around us, he has come up with this, and he says this, in the end... It is each of us, so I'm not reading, don't quote this and say, Ruth Rice said, this is, this is a person who's not a Christian saying this. In the end, it's each of us as individuals who'll determine the level of happiness in our society. 
by everything we do. It's not easy to live well, it's very much easier if you're in regular contact with people who are trying to do the same. In the West, this used to happen when people went to church. They were reminded that they were not the centre of the universe, there was something bigger than them, and they were inspired, uplifted, and comforted, and they re-established contact with their better selves. Then he says, we now need a secular ethics. <laughs> no belief system can flourish without institutions that embody it, gatherings where people meet regularly to reinforce their commitment to live well. But there are surprisingly few secular institutions where you can do this. So he's saying, his idea is, this used to be religion, used to make us happy and give us a bigger picture. Now we need a secular ethics around that. I'm saying, or, or, just a thought, we could still do the thing we used to do that made us have well-being. We hold that story, guys. The thing that people are looking for and researching into and saying that society needs is held within the church. I said, that sounds amazing. When I first heard the mental health team talk about what was needed and there'd been this big piece of research about well-being, the five things, the five top things that came up, the New Economics Foundation did the research, that help with your well-being are these. Now, overlay what you do at church. Connecting, keeping learning, getting active, okay, not so much maybe, depends on your style of worship. Getting active, taking notice, and giving. Connect, learn, get active, take notice, give, spells clang. We call it the clangers if you put eat, rest, sleep on the end. So, what society needs is the good news that we hold. Somehow though, we've put that in a box, called it church, and the entrance criteria is sometimes too much for people who aren't feeling really great. But the very thing, the stuff that you showed me last night by widening your circle, by making me, the stranger, feel welcome, that's what's needed. That's it. And, and if Richard Layard is to be believed, a bigger story, a deity, if you like, someone who loves you, even when you don't feel loved. That's what people need, and that's what we believe. So let's see where we can join the dots. So yesterday we looked at digging deeper in our relationship with God. Today we're going to look at digging deeper in our purpose. And I want to tell you about this chap here before we read our scripture, which we're going to read the whole of Luke chapter 10 nearly. So I know I didn't read you any Bible yesterday. I'm aware of that, but you look tired. I didn't want you to fall asleep in it. This guy here is called Mark. He didn't mind me telling his story. I met him a few weeks ago when I was up in North Allerton in North Yorkshire where we've got one of our most recent renew spaces opened. It's gorgeous. If you go up there, there's five churches in the town that now call themselves North Allerton One, and they have constituted themselves as a little CIO, and they have set up, and I know you've done this hard work, a lovely space on the high street, because each of them put five grand in each. It's open six days a week, and downstairs is a renew space. Any faith and none, bring a hobby, share a hobby, here's the prayer space, mental health team pops in and out. Anyone can come. Regardless of label, we just need your name. <coughs> Upstairs, different services, food bank, and crisis team, thinking of being up there. CAMS, for those of you who know about mental health services, this is because they're coming with one voice to their council, their council <coughs> are giving them loads of favor. This guy, Mark, walks through their doors, They've only been open just over a month, maybe two months. And they spent two years getting ready, as you know, takes a while. This guy walks in through the doors and starts by introducing himself as an alcoholic. He starts by telling everybody about his addictions. And, and, and my host, bless them, went, what's your name? <laughs> 
And he said, oh, it's Mark. And they went, well, what do you like doing? And he said, oh, well, I, I used to be a photographer. But, and they went, oh, well, show us some of your photographs. I'd love to see those. Brings in, these are some of his photos in this board that he's made. And uh, I happened to be there that day. And I said, oh, Mark, a photographer. We, all these cards that I put on your chair, they're all original photos and artwork by different people from our Renew Spaces. I said, if you'd like to give us some photos, we'd love some. We can't pay you for them, but we'd love to. He said, oh, thank goodness. He said, everywhere I go, everyone's trying to fix me. It's the first time I feel like I can give something back. Now, that's not rocket science, is it? That's saying, I know you've got issues with addiction. You're dealing with those, right? You've got someone, you're dealing with those. We can't fix that here. What we can do is find out all the other stuff about you because none of us are just the one thing that's wrong with us. And if we really believe that our spaces will change from how can we fix you to how can we see Christ in you? So this guy here is a regular up at, um, at the moment. And, and you know, it might go horribly wrong again, but those guys have made it possible to be there in a way that is sustainable, that isn't exhausting for the church, so that if he does have a dip in the come up again, he'll be fine because we'll still be there. We don't need to go, are you all right now? Are you all right now? Are you still all right now? Because we're still going to be there because we're being there because God's called us there. Our organising principle is bigger. So we're going to read Luke chapter 10. And I've told you that story about Mark for a reason, and it will make sense in a bit. I'm going to talk to you about what you see the disciples seeing as their purpose in life as Jesus is teaching them. So he's called you with that lovely meditation we did on that passage, putting your name in it. He's called you to follow him. What's he calling you to do when you follow him? I have a feeling for some of you, it's a bit less than you're doing already. <laughs> and for others, you're just doing everything that comes your way because you're good people. And if you don't know what you know is, your yes will become far too big. Have you ever seen yes man? Oh. He has to say yes to everything. And it's a nightmare because you can't. So knowing what you know is enables you to know what your yes is. I'm going to talk first about being and then doing, and then we'll work out what the becoming is as we come into land at, what time's, tell me when I'm stopping. Cool. <clears throat> or even before. Luke chapter 10. I'll just read chunks of it to you, so just listen or you can follow it. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others, and he sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. He said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And this is how he sent them. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Thanks, Lord. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you and remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the labourer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what's set before you, heal the sick in it, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they don't receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it would be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. So... The disciples are following Jesus. He says this to them. Just to put yourself in that place. That Jesus is right there. It'd be great, wouldn't it? He is, actually. <coughs> By his Holy Spirit, still right there. But I kind of would love, wouldn't you, to feel the dust of his feet and, and know. And, and so he says this. Sends them out. Take nothing. <coughs> go and find people. Bless them. And take what they give you. 
So I'm going to get into that a little bit more when we talk about our community. So I'm not going to go into it too much now, but just be thinking on the difference between what Jesus told us to do and what we actually do. Because we do want to give away a lot, don't we, all the time? And there's nothing wrong with that. And we do, and we are told in other places that we do need to feed the hungry and clothe the naked. But there's something about receiving other people's hospitality that gives them dignity. You saw it last night with the woman at the well when Jesus said, actually, I'd like what you've got in your hand. So think about that just for a moment. So we got that, right, Jesus? We understand that. We're going to go out into all the world. We're going to make disciples. We're going to bless people. And we're going to see people get saved. Yeah, amazing. So they did see that. And they come back. Skip the one bit. It's a good bit, but skip it anyway. Verse 17 says, The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to your name. And he said, Ah, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the powers of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, don't rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice your names are written in heaven. So we start going, hang on, hang on. I know it's exciting. You've seen all these amazing things happen, but that's not why we're, why we're happy. <laughs> that's not where our well-being comes from. What? So there's the disciples going, yeah, but surely you just told us to go and do all these amazing things and that's going to bring us purpose and meaning and well-being. And he says, hang on, still not it. And then he tells them a story. So he's really, he rejoices then. He has a little prayer, which is beautiful, because he's saying, I'm so glad you've shown these, this rag tagging bobtail lot because that's where the beauty comes from, from people like us, ordinary people, getting it. Then he says, verse 25, uh, he tells the story of the Good Samaritan. I'm not going to read it all, but you know that one, right? There's, there's somebody beaten up at the side of the road, and the person that helps that person beaten up at the side of the road is the least likely person to do it. So they go, right, got it, Lord. We're going to help people who are beaten up by life, beaten up at the side of the road. Food banks, there are more of those than McDonald's now, is that right? Or was that, that's not fake news yet. So we don't want loads of food banks. We want to end food poverty. But how good that actually the church has stepped up, and we are feeding them. There is stuff happening. That the church is one of the biggest players within the social action of this nation. However, <coughs> when you just hear that, so you get, right, we're going to go and take the gospel, and we're going to see people saved, and set people free, and see people healed. And now we're going to go, and we're going to help the poor and the needy at the side of the road. We, we are going to do all those things. So then, right, we've got it, Lord. That's our purpose. I think over centuries the church has heard this. In various ways, in the different times, we've understood social action is important and evangelism is important. We, we do get that. However then, finish the chapter with me. He throws a bit of a curveball, I think, here. Jesus takes them into another village. They enter a village, verse 38, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Martha was distracted with much serving and she went up to him and she said Lord, don't you care that my sister's left me to serve alone? You feel for her, right? <laughs> You've been on that cup of tea rotor when nobody else has helped you. Tell her to help me. And the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha you are anxious and troubled about many things. There's a place to put your name in, right? Ruth, Ruth you are anxious and troubled about many things but one thing is necessary and Mary has chosen the good portion and it will not be taken from her. One thing is necessary. I do like my films. Have you seen City Slickers, any of you? 
City Slickers Jack Pants. It comes in as this sort of weathered, and they're all whizzing around, and they've come from the city, and they've come out in to uh, learn how to herd cattle. It's like a little cunning thing. And Jack Pallance, they're going, what do we do it? How do we do it? And he just does that. Doesn't even speak. There's one thing they need to know. I don't think I ever worked out what that one thing was in that film, but I've seen it several times. But I just love that image of Jack Pallance, totally weathered. He's seen a lot of life. Can't be bothered to speak to these city slickers, and he just puts up his finger, one thing. I keep seeing that in my mind's eye when I read this passage. One thing is necessary. What is the one thing. Well, if we're to take the run of this passage seriously, there is a lot of stuff that, that we're called to as disciples of Jesus. But if he has to choose, when push comes to shove, he'll choose for you to sit at his feet and do nothing. No, that can't be right. I, I can almost feel the head scratching of the disciples here going, hang on, hang on, hang on. But Martha's doing it. She's making the tea, she's serving the people. Why are you, why, why is Mary got the better portion? Now there's all sorts of people saying different things about this if you read all the books. I'm choosing to just pray about it, think about it and work out what I think it says for myself. And for me personally, I did a lot of martha in. <laughs> and the problem with Martha is she felt everybody else should be doing what she was doing. And it wasn't that she was making the tea that was the problem, it's she thought everybody else should be too. <laughs> and maybe nobody even asked her to. <laughs> so it's easier to do the Martha thing sometimes than the Mary thing, isn't it? They're just sitting. I remember, this has been recorded, right? Oh, my dear, forgive me. My dear old dad, love my dad. And I, when I was doing my master's in missional leadership, I was giving him my essays to, to proofread for me. And he is the most encouraging man in the whole world. Everything we did was amazing, even when it wasn't. Except when I wrote my essay on waiting and wasting, I, I called it Wasting Time with God. It was from a quote by Evelyn Underhill, um, called To Retreat is to Loiter with Intent. And he hated it. <laughs> he hated it. She brought up in the church, in the, in the serving, in that generation too. And, and the thought that we might sit around <laughs> and that might be okay. Uh, and I couldn't, and therefore when I was not well, I was therefore wasting my life. I was sitting there, all I could do was pray. Oh. Now, he doesn't think like that now, by the way. Juxtapose that with a lovely guy called Ajit Fernando, who used to be head of the Sri Lankan Youth for Christ. I heard him speak, elderly gentleman, and he said... If prayer is the best thing we do, then when it's all we can do, it's a promotion. If prayer is the best thing that we can do, when it's all we can do, it's a promotion. Now, some of us are looking promotion in the eyes and wondering what that's going to feel like because we've served hard all our lives. If we don't learn to be Marys now, we will struggle with doing it later. And there's something about the practice of what I've talked about, the stillness and the habits and the gazing on Jesus. And like the woman at the well, not rushing away, that will enable us to live well till our last breath. And it will enable us to sit with people who can't do stuff. The gospel cannot be become a Christian and then your purpose is to get loads more people to become Christians and come and join us in the church. We kind of hear that. But what if the person who comes to faith has no language? or no ability, or no mobility, who is really unwell, are they valued less? Don't we know that? 
So what is the gospel? The gospel is, and we know this, he, it, we are invited into the presence of God and that in itself is enough to gaze at him. I call it dwell being. <laughs> to dwell in him, him to dwell in us. That's the being and it needs to be, I believe, in our churches as valued as the doing. Because if the being isn't valued as much as the doing, the people who can't do the doing will not join us. The girls that I used to work with, um, busy, busy primary school teachers, were never interested in what I did at church because they saw it wearing me out until I had a breakdown and we set up the Renew Space and we learned how to do meditation and suddenly they were all over it like a rash because they saw Christianity working out in a way that they needed. Rather than, come on, Join a team. You could join a team. I mean, I'm in a lovely church now. It's an it's a Anglican church. It's lovely. But the only way to get to know people, they tell you, is to join a team on a Sunday. But I'm not there on a Sunday. I don't know how to get to know people. And then there's this girl I was sitting next to who's too shy to ever join a team. And she's struggling. How does she get to know people? Where are the spaces where we are practicing not doing? How do you invite people to be part of your church? And you might have this sus. We didn't. How do you invite people who are really broken, really struggling with grief and loss to be part of your church family? Where does that work? How does it work? For long term. When we first set up Renew 37, I had just met this lovely family. Well, I haven't just met them. I used to teach the children. I taught these children all through primary and uh, not a family of faith. And then uh, I got a phone call to say that one of the lads at 17 had taken his own life. And would I do the funeral? Oh, it was hideous. It was in, yeah, it was not, it was not long after your mum died. It was a horrible year. And I did this funeral and all these kids I'd taught at five were standing at the back, ashen-faced, and his brother, who's deeply autistic, looking at me. And I thought, what do I do now? Because it's going to be me. I'll have to visit them all, all the time. But we just set up Renew 37. So I said, I don't think church will work for you, but you might like this space. Nobody's going to ask stupid questions. Because she couldn't go anywhere where someone was going to say, oh, have you got children? How do you answer that? She needed somewhere just to lick her wounds and be until she felt. She didn't want to talk about it. Just be somewhere safe so she didn't die. And uh, they would come along and they would sit in our prayer space and do a little bit of activities and go home again. Often not talk to anyone. They, I think that place <coughs> kept them alive. And before we'd set it up, we had pretty much nothing in the very busy life of our church that would work for that family struggling through grief. I ask you the question, where are your habits on offer that are the inner habits, the still habits, the being, not the doing? Because I think that's what people are struggling with. I don't think people are looking for more stuff to do. I think they're wondering about how to be. How do we do that together? I think this chapter 10 of Luke is so brilliant because it models to us we do need to take the gospel. We do need to help the poor and the needy. But we also need to sit at the feet of Jesus and make space for another one to sit there too because he's actually the only one who can do anything, isn't it? About anybody else's stuff. In our prayer rooms, we don't pray for people, lay hands on people. We don't encourage it, actually, not in our prayer spaces. We don't, we don't never do it. We, we will do it at some point on a Sunday or whatever. But when it's renewed, we say, I'm going to pray like this. You're welcome to sit with us. We're going to pray and you're welcome to join us. So we're actually, we're not doing unto, we're not making another dependency culture. Um, and it's been so lovely to see how many people really wanted to pray. So, 
What's your one thing? B. However, I'm fully aware that for some people they're going, yeah, I've got that, Ruth. We are all doing that. That's great. I'm so pleased you've got all your rhythms of prayer sorted out. If you haven't and you're interested in what our journey was with our rhythms of prayer and how we opened them up to our community and how actually I baptised more people in the year after we opened Renew 37 than any other year. And it was mostly, we didn't do, I don't know what we did, except invite people into our prayer rhythms. And they met with Jesus there. And he was much kinder and calmer about discipling them than we were. I, don't, I, can't, I can't describe it to you. I do invite you into the journey to find it for yourselves. And that was the little journey we took. It's a, a little booklet I wrote called Renew You. Um, and it's got some prayer cards in that to help you to have a look at your rhythms of prayer and how you might share them. I've got a few here because I've suddenly thought I was going to share them tomorrow. But some of you might have this afternoon free and you don't fancy a walk and you have time to read something. When you get home, sometimes that time disappears, doesn't it? So you're welcome to have one of these. Uh, I'll have some more out tonight at the back, so there would be one each. But if you want to have a look this afternoon, that's there. So that's about the being. It needs some habits around it. The word wait in the Hebrew, there's three words in the Hebrew. The third word, so most of them about repose and waiting patiently. The third one, kavar, is the same word that's used of a spider making a web. How good's that? So the, the spider doesn't go, oh, I need a fly, I need a fly, run around, find a fly. Very carefully, gossamer thin. So active waiting, putting habits in your life like a web to catch what comes along, I think is what these habits are for. This stillness, these rhythms of prayer, this silence, these are the things, the Psalms, that we can wait for God to do what he's doing. We can wait with these things, um, active waiting. So that's the being. Stick some habits around. Tell each other what your habits are. You'll have some other ones as well. But we tend not to talk about, probably because we're being obedient to that word in the Bible that tells us to go in the, our rooms and shut our doors and not talk about our prayer life. I think a moment's come when we need to. Because just to say to people, oh, God spoke to me, or I sat and prayed, or what's that mean? What's that mean for the person who wants to know how to pray? What do you, what's that look like for you? What's your inner life look like? If you dare share that, I guarantee you that is what people around you actually want to know about. How do you hear from God? What does it look like? And if, he, if you don't, take some time, sit in this beautiful landscape, and he will speak to you. Honestly, he wants to speak to you more than you want to listen. So, I'll tell you for why. If that's never happened for you, I don't think God has favourites, do you? So I'm a very ordinary person with absolutely no qualification for what I'm about to tell you about. But God said this to me and then we've acted on it and this charity is formed. I was spending some time, and there's the point, I was spending some time sitting, wasting time with God down at the beach at Dunster. I took a day just to go and sit and listen to God, walk the beach and listen to God. If you haven't spent an extended amount of time because you dare, because God might not speak to you and then you'll be disappointed. I dare you to do it again, even if it's never happened. Take some time. This is how, this is how I've heard from God, is not in the rush and the busyness, but very often when I have prioritised listening to him. Anyway, I'm down at the, uh, at the beach and I'm looking out and I'm praying about, so Renew 37 has started and we've got a little bit of funding to begin to multiply it. But at the same time as helping other churches do it, I'm trying to lead a church full time. And I'm thinking, I don't, I don't really know. Is this, no, it's just one off. What am I doing? I'm getting above myself here. 
I just need to get on with what I've been given to do. It's like I was doubting everything that God seemed to be saying to me. So I just went, Lord, you show me. Just show me. I'm just going to sit here quietly. And I'd been reading the Bible because I think it's really important that you've got some Bible going on. And I'd had this little thought about, and this had come to me in a kind of dream, about Judges chapter 4 and Deborah. My Deborah dream was... I was reading about Deborah, you know, she's an amazing woman of God, so I really like her. And it says in Judges chapter 4, mess, there's a terrible mess going on in the land at the time. And she is sitting between the place of prayer and the place of the mess, under a tree. And it says, now Deborah, wife of Lapidoth, a prophetess, was judging the land in that time. That's all it says. So I, I, I'd gone to sleep that night thinking about that. And... Um, as I woke from my sleep, I saw like a vision of West Bridgeford where I live, and all behind these closed doors were people in despair, people who were lonely. I could just see them. It was like there were glass fronts on all these. And then it was like Google Earth, and I was coming out, out in this dream, and I could see all sorts of people lonely, kids and schools coming home feeling lonely. And I was like, oh, this is overwhelming, Lord, I don't want to see this. What, what do we do about this? And there were older people, and they had stacked up all these treasures around them, and in the, in, inside of the treasures they were crying. Because there's <coughs> loads of people and loads of stuff in West Bridgeford, but it's like I could see behind it and hear this thin cry of despair and loneliness. Anyway, as I'm waking up, I hear these words. Now Ruth, wife of Mark, a missional leader, was planting renewed centres in the land. What? I'm still half awake, so I write it down because it felt important. Do you see how, like, choosing to say, tell me then, Lord, I really don't know. I want to read your word. I need to know. In my sleep, when I switch off the overthinking, he downloaded something to me that I didn't even know what it was. I wrote it down, and this was quite a few years, actually, before Renew started. So then I needed to work out what a Renew Centre was if I was going to plant them. And when we did the first one, I kind of knew it wasn't going to be the last one because of that word. So when God started to say, help other churches do it, and I was going, oh, no, that's not for me. I, I've just got this church to lead. Leave me be. I had that picture, that, it, that word in my head that was in the land, planting them in the land. <coughs> These places were to be somehow key in dealing with this despair and loneliness. All right. So that's dialing back quite a few years. Take you back to Dunster Beach. I'm sitting there. I've got this word in my head, the Deborah word. I've got a successful Renew Centre that's going on really well and a sort of inkling that there's more and I don't know what it is. And I'm looking out over the beach and I'm reading Romans chapter 5 in the message where it talks about the wide open spaces of God's grace. And it's like a daydream. I don't know if you've ever had these. Allow yourself to daydream. I don't know if my husband says I don't have an imagination like yours, Ruth. Most people don't, what you're talking about. But this happened. So this is a picture that my friend drew for me. He's an 18-year-old boy, and I described to him what I saw, and he drew this. What I saw was me being whisked up into heavenly places, stripped down, clothed in dignity and strength that looked like a gossamer gown. That's me dancing there, looking that gossamer gown, that swirly thing. And then I was dumped back down on this empty space, in my bare feet, in my gossamer gown, and the Lord said, dance. So I went, well, I've got nothing on my feet, and oh, this is a battlefield, this is not an empty space, and I'm not going to dance here, I might get hurt. And he said, dance, and so I danced. This is this dream, daydream. Sounds a bit weird, right? And I'd had a bit of cheese. And so I'm dancing, and then other people began to dance, because I was dancing. 
And then every now and again, I'd find an open space on the battlefield. I'd point to it, and some of the dancers would sit down, and a picnic basket would open in front of them. Stuff would drop into it from heaven, and they would start enjoying a picnic. And then I'd dance on, and we'd find another space, and there would be some more picnics. And eventually, as I looked behind me, this battle line was moving, the darkness was becoming light, and the <coughs> battlefield was becoming a picnic site. I thought better open my eyes and having some sort of hallucination here. But it felt so important, I made a note of it, and then I asked this friend who's a bit of an artist, and he drew this. He does draw everyone naked, but I don't know what that's about, but anyway. Um, if you look more closely at that dream, you see the darkness this side and the light coming this side. And I believe that those picnic mats are these renewed spaces. And that the battlefield is all this despair and isolation and mental health. And that somehow, us sitting down, in the middle of these battlefields, with almost nothing in our hands, he will fill the basket from above. And people were, even dead people were getting up and joining in the picnics. Now it made me laugh because I used to say, when I was trying to persuade our church that we needed to get out of the building and go and do mission, I would say, it's not a picnic, you know, we're on, it's a battlefield. And it was like God had taken my own words and used them against me and go, it can be both. Yes, we're in a battlefield. Yes, the enemy is blinding people's minds to the truth. Yes, there are kids in big measure hurting themselves because they don't know their purpose. I watched a, a documentary on, on Tuesday on Channel 4 at 10 o'clock if you get to watch it. And it was... Um, it's the mental health team in Nottinghamshire, where I come from, following some people around. And it was three young people. And it was heartbreaking. And they're, they're, I think they might be doing the best they can, the services, you know, making me scratch my head. And one of the things they said was, we used to get 40 crisis calls a day from young people in this area. We now get 80. That's in two years, it's doubled. There is a crisis in the land. There is a battle going on for our kids' hearts and minds for ourselves. And I, I can't bear to have one more jolly meeting whilst there's anybody who thinks their life is of no value. One of the ladies who came into Renew 37 said, after a while, she sort of, we have it in a space that's nice and glass-fronted so that anybody can have a look in and see. A lot of our church buildings don't lend themselves well to that, but we, we are doing them in church buildings, but the best ones, I think, are on the high street, easy to get in and easy to get out, look a bit normal. So she'd walked past about 20 times, and she sidled in, and she learned to knit, and it, over, over the course of about three months, she began to chat to people, and then she taught someone else to knit, and then eventually, about a year later, she made her way through to prayer, because we just go, people are just doing their stuff, and I go, anyone want to come and do prayer? We're doing prayer now, and they don't have to, but you can. And people tend to wait to see whether that's something scary or not, and they can hear you and see you, and is it too scary? Um, and I'll, I'll teach you more about that later on, those rhythms of prayer. So she comes in, she comes to prayer, she comes to faith, remarkably and, and miraculously, and over time. And I was baptising her in the river, in the Trent. I think I'll keep your mouth shut. And um, I said, tell me a story. And she said, well, until I came to Renew 37, I could go all week and not hear my name spoken from one end of the week to the other. That's why I went to the doctors a lot. <coughs> Middle-class suburbia, 14 churches, 23 cafes, and we, I'd lived there for 30 years, and there were people living near me who never heard their names spoken. And we were very busy being church, 
And I just felt like I can't, it breaks my heart thinking about it now. She just went, now someone knows my name. Became our little motto, really. What else is more important than just hearing your name spoken from lips that aren't asking for something for you, not officious? And so, this, this battlefield, it's like, oh, but Lord, if we go out and try and find all these broken people, I'm going to break myself again. I've done that. I've got that T-shirt. So instead, maybe I shall sit here and I'll keep the kettle on and I'll be honest about my brokenness and I'll make sure people know where we are and I won't run around, but you're welcome to join in what we're doing, like a shared front room on the high street. That's what I think these picnic sites are. Oh, for the whole nation to become a picnic site on a battlefield, for the battlefield to be changed into a picnic site, still my dream. So I can't let go of, oh, but there's 50,200 churches and there's only 53 renewed spaces. People are going, yes, but Ruth, 53 in two years, that's quite a lot. And I'm going, no, but. So I have to watch for that because it's still not about numbers. But do you see how if every space just had one person who knew they were known by name, how exciting would that be? Why would a church not want one of these? Anyway, back to the point. What is our purpose? You see, for me, finding out my purpose was about sitting long enough to hear and to do this, I had to give up some stuff I really loved, like leading the church, and a stipend, and a house. My husband nearly had a pink fit, but we did it anyway. I don't regret it, neither does he, not for a minute. Was it easy? No. Is it the most exciting ride of my life? Yes. Did I know God was gonna provide before I did it? No. <laughs> was it worth it? Yeah. Has he put a dream in your heart that isn't being fulfilled? Are you waiting for somebody to tell you what it looks like? It might be you. The other thing I really loved, I was working a bit with Open Doors and the Persecuted Church, and I really wanted to go on these trips, and I've been invited to go to Jordan with them, and I had to say no to it. And I used to take trips out to places in Africa where kids from, from uh, our school, our local schools, could go and get immersed in Christian projects in Africa. It was beautiful, two-way learning. I had to give that up. Loads of stuff. I couldn't do the yes if I didn't work out what the no was because my hands were too full. And there's this moment. It was, it was just over three years ago. And I, it was exactly three years ago. I was at a conference in one of these centres up in Swanwick. And, um, and it's Fresh Dreams Conference that I was part of the leadership of. And uh, I was crying out to God about, right, okay, so we've got two new centres it's really exciting. I've got a little bit of funding, so you're going to have to give me extra energy to be able to help the other churches that are asking me and be able to leave the church. So just do that, Lord. <coughs> and I just kept hearing him say, it's time to lay down new life. New Life Baptist Church was my church. It's time to lay down new life. No, 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 no. That can't be right. That's where my income comes from. That's where my family is. That's where I've worshipped for 30 years. That can't be it. And then I heard three times, do you trust me, do you trust me, do you trust me? I go, well, yes, but when you tell me how you're going to pay me, that would help. <laughs> and eventually, giving in, like you do, to the God who loves you, and also because I can't get this out of my head, I can't, I'm quite a jolly person, but I almost can't walk down the street without crying now, because I know there's somebody who's lonely. <laughs> I don't want to get rid of that, actually. I can still be jolly. In my, in my cup is sorrow and joy. I have to share the sorrow of those who can't get up in the morning if I'm going to get out of my bed. Do you know that? Not just pretending it isn't there and having a jolly time, but you know. The thing that God's placed on your heart. Who are the people that break your heart? It might not be the same as me. It might not be about mental and emotional health. 
I suppose what I'm saying to you is, if you're going to dig deeper into the purposes of God for your life, I don't think you can do everything. And for many of you, the purpose of God in this season for your life is to care deeply for your spouse or for your parents or for your children or grandchildren. And that is it. And you can't do that well and all the other things and you may have to put some stuff down. And for some of you who were in that season and a new season has come and you're not quite sure what the season holds and you don't have the ability you had before, if praying is the best thing you do in your life, this is promotion time, folks. So maybe you can dig deeper into some habits of prayer, but you might need to give yourself to that. And for some of you starting out with your journey of your, what am I going to do with my life? Dare you, set some time aside, go and listen to him, read some passages that are important to you, and then daydream with him. It's dangerous, right? I'm putting a health warning on it for you. Uh, I, was in, I was nearly in my 50s when that happened, so actually, <laughs> I don't think it is just when you're starting out. I think the seasons in your life, the purposes he has for you, the plans are not to harm you. This is the most fulfilled I've ever felt in my entire life. Am I out of my depth? Yes. I still need to pace myself, and probably there'll come a season quite soon when the kids start producing grandkids and my parents start getting really elderly when I hand this on to somebody else. But for right now, this is, this is where my roots go deep. This one thing. One thing to dwell in his house, to seek his face, to gaze upon his beauty, Psalm 27. That's the one thing, the being. We are being his children. Are you doing that actively? Are you building your web of being? One thing. Maybe one purpose. There might be more than one. You might be a great multitasker. Just be careful. You might have been a great multitasker. Do you know the calling he's placed on you? All of you are made on purpose, you know. That dear man, Mark, that I showed you earlier. Isn't that amazing, his calling and his purpose? to serve within that renewed space. If you're not sure, here's from Kate Coleman, a friend of mine, who's written some really brilliant stuff, one of which is called Seven Deadly Sins of Women in Leadership. And this is what she puts in there. To find your clear personal vision, if you're not sure. What's your greatest gift? If you don't know, ask your friends. What's your strongest complaint? And what's your biggest dream? My greatest gift was talking. My strongest complaint was that people were lonely. And my biggest dream was that there was a space that felt like home for everybody. wonder what that would look like for you. Let's just pray. Father, I thank you for these good people who are already choosing to dig deep into you, are already serving in the life of this church. But right now in this session, in this moment, as they go off to spend some time on their own with their families and with their friends, Would you give them dreams and visions and speak to them about that unique thing you've placed in their life? And maybe, Lord, would you break their heart for what breaks your heart? And equally, in fact, more so, would you call them to sit down, to be, to dwell, to gaze on your beauty? You're going to have some time this afternoon um, to look into all of that stuff. Um, don't forget you can take one of these booklets. I'm just going to read you this little poem as we finish. 
you might like to grab a book if you haven't got one, if you haven't got a notebook, and if you like writing stuff down, I do, you might have a try at writing your own psalms. It's quite a nice thing to do. This is one about his dwelling place. His dwelling place. Your glory fills the whole earth. Yes, the whole earth. You dwelling in ocean depth and mountain height, in fragrant flowers and eagle flight, in tiny bugs and vast blue skies. How lovely. His dwelling place. We are being built together into a dwelling place for God, the church. His choice of dwelling place. Cement between the cracks in varied personalities. Choosing to share, to work, to care, to love in all its crazy forms. Regardless of our preference and complaint, he dwells in us together. And we are made for this. Edifice of brokenness, not all harmonious bliss. In meetings and in silence, from mud stuck to free. In contention and compassion, how lovely his dwelling place. He dwells in you by his spirit. You, the other. Yes, I see his glory, his presence reflected in your eyes. You, his love, his joy, his prize, his beauty in the smallest hint of hope, the bravest act of courage in sharing how you cope in shared spaces where each I meet shows signs of the master's hand. Masterpiece making. How lovely. His dwelling place. It's no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. Me? His dwelling place? Lovely? Now that's a stretch for mind and heart. Where shall I start to realize I am lovely too? In my skin, the skin he is in, I choose to live this day and tend the beauty as I would his earth, his church, the other, to be as careful with myself, my body, mind and spirit as I hope to be with nature's best, my family and my church, my life. His dwelling place, my thoughts, my feelings, my cheers, my cries, my choices, his life in me, his dwelling place. How lovely. Statement, not question. His words, his line, his dwelling place. The earth, the church, your life and mine. How lovely. What do we have next? Coffee. Coffee.